I think that's it for announcements. Maybe not. Oh, yeah. One more. And this is part of our uh, transitioning into our sermon this morning. Uh, But next week, we are starting a brand new series in the book of Exodus, a series that's going to take us all the way through the sort of the school year. It's going to take us and end, I think, late May, maybe early June or something like that. And I am really looking forward to it. The title of the series is The God Who Is. So again, that is going to start next week, which means this week is our last week in our summer series through the Psalms that we started, I believe, in June. And so this is our last time. I'm looking forward to our study in Exodus. As most of you know, it's a foundational book in the Old Testament, uh, one that is often quoted in the New Testament, and it introduces to us some major themes uh, that are all throughout Scripture. Of course, the Exodus and the Passover and the giving of the law and all of these things, and of course, the tabernacle and all of that. And of course, those events anticipate and bring our attention to the coming of Jesus who fulfilled all of those things. But again, that starts next week. But to bridge the gap from the Summer Psalms series to our Exodus series, we thought it would be wise to jump into Psalm 90 this morning as our last psalm. So if you want to turn to Psalm 90, and we chose this psalm because, as maybe some of you know, it is the only psalm in the entire book of Psalms in the Psalter that is attributed to Moses as the author, who is, of course, the main character and also the author of the book of Exodus. So that's why we are here in Psalm 90, ending one series and beginning another next week. We're going to look at this Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90. Now, I'm going to pray in a minute, but to help us better understand this Psalm before we read it, I want to just mention briefly to you the historical context, the the context by which Moses was in when he penned these words of this psalm. Most scholars agree that Moses likely penned this psalm after their flight out of Egypt and during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That was a consequence to their constant rebellion and sin against God. Just listen to what God said in Numbers 14. This is where God had gotten with them because of their constant rebellion and sin. In Numbers 14, 11, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? What a sad question, a depressing truth. And and yet, even as I was reading that the other day, I, I wondered how often God would say, maybe the same of us, all the amazing things that he does, and yet oftentimes we still struggle to believe him. I pray that often he doesn't do that. However, after saying this, God was ready to be done with the nation of Israel, and he says this to Moses, but Moses, as the story goes on, he intercedes for them, and he does so by asking God, he says, remember, God, your covenant promises that you made to your people. And then he declares back to God the name that God revealed to him on Mount Sinai when he said this. This is what he says a few verses later in verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but... 
he will by no means clear the guilty. So in the response to this intercession that Moses gives, God did show them grace by not utterly cutting them off from him. Nevertheless, God still judged that generation, preventing them from entering into the promised land, and instead he caused that generation to wander in the wilderness aimlessly for 40 years until that entire generation died off. And it's within that moment, that bleak and harsh situation that Moses writes this psalm for the people of God. And and sort of the goal was to give them hope and purpose that all was not lost, though everything seemed like it was. The title I've chosen, if you're taking notes, for this psalm is Living in Light of Eternity. Living in Light of Eternity. And the point I want to make to you is this. That time is precious, but God is gracious. Time is precious, but God, the Lord, is gracious. Let me pray and then we'll read this prayer together. God, we come before you and Lord, we know how precious time is and how fragile and precious life is. And and oftentimes just the thought of that is, is overwhelming and and how time is, is fleeting, it's, it's passing away, it, it seems to be speeding up sometimes. And, and we know that time, in one sense, is, is running out in a lot of ways. And, and so, Lord, we want to come to this psalm and think about uh, this topic and how we ought to live in light of it. And so, God, I pray that you would shine your light on our eyes and on our hearts and, and minds so that we can understand your word and then go and apply it daily in our lives. Uh, but Lord, open our eyes and help us to see these wonderful truths. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we'll read together Psalm 90. We'll read the whole psalm together. It begins this way, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night." You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. My kids, they're at that age where the tooth fairy is becoming a regular guest in our house. It's weird because every time the tooth fairy comes, my kid have or my kids have money under their pillow and I have less money in my wallet. I don't really know how that's working out. I'm still trying to figure out how this tooth fairy is stealing my money and giving it to my kids. But whether it's a tooth fairy or just a reward given for some other thing that my kids have done, whenever my kids have a few dollars in their pockets and it's burning a hole in their pockets, they bug me to take me to the now $1.25 store, which is quite frustrating because now I need a quarter every time I have a dollar. But every time we go, the conversation from the car to the door of the store goes like this. All right, girls, you know that you only have a few dollars to spend. There's a lot of things in there that you're going to want. So make sure that you really choose wisely the things that you're going to get. And as most of you know, that's a difficult thing for young kids to do. And oftentimes I end up dipping into my wallet anyway because they're going to want the five things, not the three things with the dollars that they have. But we walk out usually having wasted several dollars and for them having wished I would have gotten something else, right? But you don't have to be a kid to know that money is precious and spending it wisely is difficult and that oftentimes we make poor choices with our money and we wish we would have spent it better or on something else. But have you considered how we often do the exact same thing with an even more valuable resource every single day? And of course, I'm talking about the resource of time. It's been said before that time is the most valuable commodity on earth because it is the only resource we spend but can never ever get back. Yet still, much like the many other resources that are available to us, our tendency is to waste it away with trivial things, only to get to the end and begin to wish for two things, for more time or that we had spent the time that we had on better things than we did. And we understand this dilemma, we understand it well with money, but we understand it with time as well in certain instances. This makes sense to us from our experience. So it also makes sense why Moses would write about this and pray in this way, considering the circumstances that they were in and remembering the things that led them into that situation where they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, knowing that that generation would never enter into the promised land. They were spiritually bankrupt to some degree. They were relationally broken, doomed by their poor investment of time and with time, of course, running out. And I could imagine that Moses had two wishes on his mind in that moment, that he had more time, more than just 40 years or that they could go back and spend the time that they did have 
better than they did. And I was thinking about that. Perhaps that resonates with more than just a few of you here in the room this morning. I know it does for me when I think about the investment of time. However, and we're going to see in this psalm that those two wishes is actually not where Moses' mind really dwells on. It's not where it lands. You see, though, it often feels as if those are our only two options, wishing we had more time or, or regretting that we didn't spend the time better than we did. There's a third option available to us, which is to recognize that though time is precious, God is still gracious. That though time is precious, God is still gracious. And because God is gracious, He calls us and even allows us to redeem the time that we do still have, even if we've spent much of our time in the past wasting it. In fact, it made me think about the Apostle Paul and how he encouraged the church in Ephesus, these newer Christians, and he says to them in in chapter 5, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Paul knew the feeling of having wasted so much time in his life, those years when he did not know Jesus, when he did not serve Jesus. But when he came to know Jesus, he seemed to have spent the majority of his time focusing on two things, knowing Jesus and making him known to as many people as possible. He was someone who made the best use of his time, of course, after coming to know Jesus. But even Moses, a man who spent much of his younger years in the palaces of Egypt, only decades later or sometime later to spend decades in a desert, who was eventually later in his life used by God and then to live out the rest of his days wandering in a desert, he knew the value and frailty of time really well. Thus, he writes the words of this psalm. But let's look a little bit closer at the psalm and consider the way Moses thinks about this idea and writes about this idea of living in light of eternity. There's three divisions in the psalm. The first is in verses 1 through 6 in a section that I'm calling, again, if you're taking notes, God's eternality and our mortality. Just by a simple glance, we're not going to read all those verses again for the sake of time, but just a simple glance glance at the first six verses, what we immediately gather as the primary theme is the connection and the comparison of human mortality and life's brevity and God's eternality. And we are totally different from him in this. On the one hand, Moses acknowledges that the God who has been their dwelling place, even in the midst of pilgrimage with Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and then their sojourning time in Egypt, and then their wandering in the wilderness. Throughout all of this, God was the same God, and He was the one who was their shelter, and He was the God who existed before anything else existed. And as he writes this, hopefully our mind, certainly his mind, would have instantly drifted to the early part of the book of Genesis, where it says that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, that before time and space began, when nothing was there, not even the mountains, these symbols of permanence, God was there from everlasting to everlasting 
Moses writes, God existed. He has always been there. Of course, this adoration of God is positioned in the psalm in order to show us sort of the juxtaposition, a direct contrast to the passing of each generation. He says there, to each generation, you've been our our dwelling place. And that idea of a generation is this, that one generation is born and, and one dies off. And so goes the cycle, right? The beginning of one and and the other one ends. But God has neither of those things. He has no beginning and, and he has no end. You are from everlasting to everlasting, and yet we are passing generations over and over again. And in verse three, he goes on to speak not only of our human mortality, that there's a beginning and an end, but he talks about human substance, the kinds of things we're made of. He says, that we return to the dust. And again, our minds go back to Genesis, where it says that God, when he made the earth, but when he made man, he made man from the dust of the earth. And how after Adam sinned in the garden, God cursed Adam and said that he will return to the dust from which he was made. And again, we see his thoughts continue in verse four to show how time is nothing to God for him. He says a thousand years is like a few hours ago. It's like you remember what you were doing last night, what you remembered for dinner. That's what he's saying. God remembers a thousand years ago like that, like a watch in the night, which would have been somewhere around three to four hours. In other words, what would otherwise quite literally be a millennium for us is nothing to God in relation to time and space. And yet, in contrast to God's relationship to time, our lives, he says, they're like a dream. Here, gone, and forgotten the next. And likely many other places in Scripture, Moses here, we see he compares the brevity, the briefness of human life on earth to the lifespan of grass. It flourishes in the morning, and by the evening, it is gone. And all of this comparing... Our mortality to God's eternality begs us to wonder, Moses, what is your point? (laughs) Why are you bringing all of this up? Why are you making us feel so low? What are you getting at? And the answer, of course, is what I've already mentioned, that life is precious. And we have to remember this. Life is fleeting. This life we have here on earth is short, but God is gracious. So the first part of that statement is the most obvious in this first section, that life is precious. It's here in a moment, and then it's gone the next. Life is fragile. And right when you think you are strong, like you've, you've got life in and under control, and death seems so distant, you're reminded that, man, we're just made of dust. And it's so fragile. I just started watching that show. I've, I've uh, put it off for a long time now from a lot of these a lot of people's suggestions, but started watching 1883. And, and maybe some of you have been watching the show, and I am shocked how easily people are dying off in this show, <laughs> like as if they have no idea how to do common sense things. And, but it made me think about how, how life can be so fragile like that. It is an invaluable commodity because of that. that. That is who and what we are. And yet we are also reminded in this section of the eternal nature of God, full of glory and wonder and power, the one who made everything, including space and time, and yet he exists outside of those things and how in his grace he would care to consider specks of dust and withering grass 
like you and me. This is where Moses' mind is. He's considering these two things. Again, that life is precious, but God is gracious. And it's in that tension that we see so obviously in this first section. And in one sense, we aren't bothered by the fact that God is different than us, right? We're actually kind of happy that he's different than us. What bothers us in thinking about that tension is why life is so fleeting, why time seems to go so fast and is so short. And in order to consider the implications of that predicament, the theme shifts in the next set of verses, verses 7 to 11 in a section I'm calling God's justice and our sinfulness. Again, I'm not going to read those verses again for the sake of time, but in this section, as you just kind of scan it again, the <coughs> that we read earlier, much like in the last where we saw so obviously God's eternality and our mortality, here we see God's justice in light of our sinfulness. Again, in the last section, the frustrating thought is why life is so short. Whereas in this next section, the frustrating thought is on why life is so hard. Why so much toil and and turmoil in our short little lives? And the answer, of course, is because of the natural consequences of sin coupled with God's just anger against human sin. And again, our minds drift back to the early parts of the book of Genesis when God told Adam, do not eat of this one tree. (laughs) Don't do this one thing. For in that day that you do that, you will surely die. These are the consequences of this one action. And of course, we know the story. He couldn't help himself, him or Eve, and he did eat, and as a result, the refrain of death entered into the chorus of human life. So-and-so was born, and they lived X amount of years, and then they died. And that is, ever since then, that's been the rhythm of human life. Sin is why life is so short and full of toil and trouble. Not because God made it this way, but because our sin fractured and broke God's perfect world when mankind attempted to live life on their own apart from God as if that is even a reality or possible. But Moses, I'm sure he thought about Genesis, but he didn't need to go all the way back to the beginning to understand this frustration and this truth. Just like you and I, we don't need to go back to understand this. Instead, it is a reality that we live every day when people, we see people attempt to live life apart from God. When we tried to live life apart from God, we understand that it's full of toil and struggle and consequence. And in Moses' case, the more likely context for his words was not Genesis 3, but his own context as he watched right in front of him, God's people rebel against God over and over and over again. And because of their sin, their life was cut short and it was full of trouble. And that generation wandered in the wilderness. And he's saying, man, if, if you get to a ripe old age of 70 or, or even 80 before those 40 years are over, that's great. But it really doesn't matter because you've missed out on the best part, which is entering into the land of promise. And no doubt they wondered, like many others have wondered, well, what good is my life now? Am I just to wander aimlessly here in this moment? What purpose or hope do I have? And of course, the answer to those questions comes in the final section, verses 12 to 17, in a section I'm calling God's ability and our 
dependency. God's ability and our dependency. In many ways, again, I'm not going to read the verses. Uh, verse 12 functions as the climax of the psalm. It's probably the verse that most of you uh, memorize, have heard before, where Moses writes, in light of all the things I just said, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And I, I say this verse functions as the climax of the psalm because really this psalm is all about learning to live wisely and how not to live foolishly with this short amount of time that we have here on the earth. How not to, metaphorically speaking, go to the dollar store and buy the things that we don't want to buy or regret later on. And how in light of eternity, we ought to live a certain way in this present time, knowing that life is short and it's fleeting. And we can best do that by auditing the time that we do spend, thinking about the way we've been spending our time and then investing it in the things that matter most. It's cliche, but it's true. If you want your life to count, it starts when you count the days of your life. But this is Moses' supplication. In light of his adoration, God, this is who you are. And in light of his confession, this is who we are. He then makes this supplication. God, we need this from you. This is what he's asking him for. That in light of God's eternality and his just righteousness, in light of our mortality, that we're made of dust and our, we toil under human fallenness, he's saying, God, we, we need your grace. Grace in many ways. Grace to teach us, grace to satisfy us, and grace to establish us. Those are the things that we see most prominently asked for in this latter part of the psalm. But he, even as he prays for those things, notice what he requests in verse 13. He says, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? How long must they wander in the desert before seeing the promised land? How long must they toil on earth before God redeems what was lost and broken? And of course, we asked those questions. They were asking them in real time. Uh, we asked them looking back on time. And we know the good news is that there was a day eventually when that generation did die off and God did bring a new generation in and he allowed his people to enter into the promised land. That, that's good news. There was a time when God did return and he did lead his people. But more importantly, we know that an even greater day came when God answered this prayer of Moses, when God himself came to his people in the person of Jesus. And how often we read in the Gospels of when Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he, he was ministering to people, but how the narrator often will say, and he looked upon them or him or her with pity and compassion. God answered that prayer in the person of Jesus. For generations, God's people waited to see their deliverer. They longed for the day when God, who had been their dwelling place in times past, would once again dwell with them. And of course, we know that Jesus, we read in John 1, that Jesus came and, and he dwelt among them. He tabernacled among his people when he came into the world. But the fact is, we're kind of in the same place, aren't we? Even those of us who have accepted Christ and are following him, we are still praying, when are you going to return, O Lord? How long, O Lord, are we going to have to 
deal with these things, both the things in our own hearts and lives and the things that are outside of us, that are outside of our control. Because even though Jesus came, the story is not over, right? He is going to come again. His work in the world is still going on. And though we see more clearly what Moses only saw by faith, we still cry out, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Certainly it is our desire, the desire of every person to want more time or, or wish that they could have some time back. But really our desire is greater than that, right? We, we really don't want the time back. What we want is Jesus to come back. We want him to return for us for a psalm we looked at a few weeks ago says, for a day in your courts is a better than a thousand elsewhere, right? I'd rather have a day in God's presence than a thousand more that I could recover from my past. So he prays. He prays for wisdom. He prays for God to return. And he prays in verse 14, as we were singing earlier, for God to satisfy them. Certainly the, Im the image of manna, if you're aware of manna in the Old Testament, that heavenly bread that God provided to his people that came down on the ground every morning and fed God's people as they fled out of Egypt. This probably was in Moses' mind as he penned this request, and, and he used that sort of as a picture to say, just as you provided food for us by your love to satisfy us in the morning, will, will you just satisfy us in your love, in your presence, in your grace every single morning. It, as Cody was praying earlier, you know, we look for satisfaction in a lot of different things, in a lot of different ways, but only true satisfaction is found in God, and that's what Moses prays for, even in the midst of their wilderness wandering. Isn't that amazing? But he connects this request in verse 15. He says, not only will you satisfy us, will you, will you make us glad that as many days as, as God had poured out sort of his loving discipline upon them, he says, as many days as that, will you also make us glad even more days? And of course, Moses knows that God is able to do this, that even when life seems to be going nowhere, he can make it joyful. He can make your days glad when your job seems to be sucking the life out of you, pardon the expression, when relationships get really burdensome and difficult, even in the midst of that moment where you're like, what am I even doing here? What, what are, and you start questioning all of your choices in life, even in those moments when it's really hard and life is out of your control. In those moments, God can be present with you and satisfy you even in the midst of your difficult circumstances. And so Moses prays to that end. God, in this hard situation, will you still be with us? Will you still make us glad? Will you still satisfy us? And then he has one more request, and this is amazing. You see, again, he knew that God was not done with his people. He knew that God had more work to do on the earth, and so he prays. God, as you establish your work, the work of your hands in the world, will you also establish our work in the world? Again, when life seems short and full of trouble, and it seems like, well, what is even the point anymore? What's even the point? Or, or is there going to be any fruit from my labor? Uh, we wonder, is our life even going to matter anymore? And the fact is, it doesn't matter if you're old or young. We all want our life to matter. If you're older, you start thinking about the kind of legacy that you're going to leave behind. If you're younger, you think, 
What can I devote my life to that is going to make the greatest impact in the world, hopefully for the sake of the gospel? But the truth is, we all know, nothing really lasts except that which God gives a lasting impact to. And so we pray, as Moses prayed, that he would establish the work of our hands. Whatever we put our hands to, God, will you make it matter in people's lives? Will you make it matter for your kingdom purposes? That as you work and as we work, will you make our work meaningful? Of course, none of this is possible apart from faith in the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one who created the world in the beginning and then saved the world by sending his son into the world at that appointed time in human history, and the one who is coming again to restore and redeem. It's only by faith any of these things are possible. So in closing, kind of the big idea again is life is precious, but God is gracious. Yes, there are those moments when our mortality will be rubbed into our faces, but our response ought not to drift into wishful thinking, but into prayerful petition and godly wisdom as Moses demonstrates for us here. And we ought to, in those moments, exercise faith in the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Why don't we pray together and then we'll have a time of communion. God, we come before you and God, we confess, e even in the midst of this discussion, that, that oftentimes we don't turn to you. Uh, we don't come to you looking to be satisfied by you or, or even to look for your grace in, in moments when we so desperately need it. And so, God, we pray that, that you would show yourself faithful to your people, to us, just as you showed yourself faithful to your people then. But God, we also pray that you would help us to redeem the time, to make the best use of the time that we have here on this earth. There's a lot of things that we can devote our time to and a lot of things that we are devoting our time to, good things even. But we want to spend this precious resource on the most valuable things, those eternal things, those kingdom things, those things that bring the most glory to you and, and good to your people. Help us to uh, wisely audit and take an inventory of the hours that we spend and live wisely in accordance with them. But God, as Moses prayed, we pray that you would establish the work of our hands, the things that we do as individuals, but uh, even more importantly, the things that we do as a church corporately. God, help the things that we do matter for your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.